Pastor Suarez for the opportunity to be here. It's always a privilege to come back to Tallahassee first. I've been coming here for years now. It's been a while. I've seen some of you grown up from being a little bit to being a bit taller. And Darcel, you're retiring. This is a surprise. You can retire early. Come on, don't play with me now. There we go. There we go. You didn't touch anything. I believe you. Okay. Darcel, <laughs> you're retiring early. That early retirement. That's good. God is good. It's a privilege to be here, and um, uh, we pray that we'll have a great time as we worship together. So, um, I've just come back from a weekend camping trip, and this was absolutely amazing. It was an end-time preparation camp meeting. End-time preparation camp meeting. And um, we learned some incredible things. We had intense Bible studies. We had some practical demonstrations of how to prepare ourselves for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Church, this is the most important thing that you need to be doing. You need to be preparing yourself for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Out of everything you can do in life, if you could choose one thing, get your self ready there's no second chances there's no second chances so um there's meant to be a powerpoint that's on the screen there we go let's keep it up there and we are going to bow our heads and close our eyes and invite the holy spirit to be among us as we share a word from god let us pray father god we pause to thank you for being present, for desiring to be present with us. We recognize our sinfulness. And without you, we are nothing. But we're so grateful that you choose to tabernacle with us. We pray for your presence now that your Holy Spirit will fill not only this place, but that he will enter into our hearts and lives. And as a result of this, we will leave this place with a greater conviction to be ready. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled, A Date with Haman. So let me tell you some things about the remnant people of God. We, in my church, Avon Park, um, we are going through a series just focusing on the remnant people of God. So certain things you need to know. First of all, the remnant people are the people who are going to be redeemed alive from this earth. So those are the ones who do not taste death. They will be translated from earth to, to meet Jesus in the air. They are alive when Jesus Christ comes. The second thing is, they live or die. I know that says lie. I tried to ask them to correct me. Anyway, they live and or prepare to die for God. Listen, they live for and are prepared to die for God. Like Shadrach, Misha, and Abednego. And, and, and not just God, they prepare to uphold the character of God, which is exemplified in all the Ten Commandments and all of his laws and his whole way of living. And the Seventh-day Adventist church is the remnant church. Amen? Yeah. Okay. The Seventh-day Adventist church is the remnant church of God. Amen. Praise God. But not all Seventh-day Adventists are remnant. I'm just going to let you know. I'm just going to let you know. In fact, Mrs. White tells us, and listen carefully, the majority of Seventh-day Adventists, no, her, her exact words are, the greater proportion of Seventh-day Adventists will be sifted out of the church. I didn't say a minority. I said the greater portion. But it need not be you. It's always a choice. It doesn't have to be you. 
others may choose to be sifted out, but you do not have to be sifted out. In fact, the, re- the shaking time, the sifting time, is actually going to reveal who the remnant are. Because we're looking around thinking, you know, who's in and who's out. We don't know. We don't know until the sifting time. And then when the sifting time has had its full effect and, and the vast majority leaves the church, it will leave a remnant who we know are solidly, totally for Jesus Christ. The remnant people of God are also preparing for the second coming of Jesus. It's the next slide, guys. The second coming of Jesus Christ. The remnant people of God are actively preparing for what they know is coming. They know that there's going to be a time where they cannot buy or sell. They know there's going to be a time, uh, a little time of trouble. They know there's going to be a great time of trouble. They know they're going to have to flee to the mountains, the wilderness, and desolate places. They are actively preparing for it. They're not sat down watching ESPN. They are actively preparing for it. Okay? The next thing is, the remnant people of God have conquered their feelings. The world lived by their feelings. How, how are you today? I feel good. I feel bad. The world lived by their feelings. They, if it feels good, they'll do it. The, the remnant people of God are not like that. The remnant people of God have conquered, subordinated, are in total control of their feelings. They can get to a point where even though they feel scared, they will still do it because God's told them to do it. They have conquered their feelings. And the remnant people of God strive towards perfection. They are not afraid to be holy. They are not afraid to try to be like Jesus Christ. They are actively working on their characters seeking help from God to remove everything that is unlike him so that they can perfectly reflect the image and character of Jesus Christ the remnant people of God are careful about worship not everything that you see that goes on in church is worship some of it is straight from Babylon And they are very particular about it because we know at the heart of the final test is this question of worship. Not just about the Sabbath and and when we worship, but it's also about how we worship and who we worship and when we worship. It's the whole package. They are very particular about worship. We also found out that the remnant people of God trust God implicitly. Trust God implicitly. That's why they're prepared to die and sacrifice anything because they trust that God knows better than they do. And that God doesn't lie. He's not like man. He's going to change his mind. Our God is faithful, trustworthy to the very end. So that's what we've learned about the remnant people of God. Let's go to a Bible character called William Miller. William Miller was a deist. That means he, he, they believed in a a power of, a power, but that it was, that we are unable to get to know him or have a relationship with him or that this past has any interaction with God. He was a deist, and then he got caught up in the 1812 war and was miraculously saved. And, and as a result of it, in 1815, as he started a series of studies because he wanted to know why was he saved and so many of the soldiers around him perished during the war. And he studied methodically through the Bible, taking one verse at a time and not proceeding to the next verse until he fully understood that verse. By the time 1818 came along, three years of study, he had come to the conclusion after studying Daniel chapter 8, verse 14, that Jesus Christ's coming was soon. And he... You guys to go back. You're rushing ahead. 
<laughs> I'm only on 1818, okay? <laughs> and he, he, he studied, and it was, it was, it's a huge shock for him, okay? And it's a, it's a big step away from what he, him or any of the other Protestant churches was believing at that time. And 1823, he started to produce tracts and booklets that he was sending out. And then in 1832, he got his first preaching appointment. And, he, and from then on, you know what happens. You know what happened. The, the, this, this movement called the Millerite movement uh, spread across America, starting in the Northeast and spread across America with a simple message, Jesus Christ is coming soon. This was exciting news exciting news and it wasn't just in north america across europe and um, uh, other people have come to the same conclusion in africa other and south america other people have come come to the same conclusion study studying separately from miller other people came to the same conclusion it was an event that was happening the whole world over jesus christ is coming soon and as they as they narrowed down the 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 the, the their study and they and they they um, uh, they went further with it, they came to the conclusion that in 1844, October 22, Jesus Christ was going to occur. Come, so people gave away their farm machinery and they sold their lands and they didn't plant out the fields in the uh, the fields and and because. What was the point? Jesus Christ was coming soon. So the, some of them gathered on this rock called Ascension Rock. Now you can go to that slide. Go, called Ascension Rock. And, and on, on October 22, and they were happy and joyous, and they were singing, saying, perhaps Jesus will come at 10 o'clock in the morning, and they were singing, marching to Zion, beauty. and they were singing, and the glorious, what a wonderful day, and mothers were saying to, uh, um, stories recorded of mother saying to a child, don't worry, tomorrow you'll see your daddy who had passed away. Oh. 10 o'clock came, Midday came, two o'clock in the afternoon. Perhaps he's going to come around dinner time. Six o'clock came, seven o'clock. Perhaps he's going to come at sunset. Eight o'clock came. Perhaps he's going to come around midnight. Midnight came. And then the next day came. And the great disappointment rained down upon them like a Mississippi thunderstorm. They had to go back home in shame and, and bear the ridicule of friends and, and other people. They had to go back and ask for things that they had given away. They were gonna be, it was going to be a long, hard winter for them because they hadn't planted out their fields with crops. This was the great disappointment. And out of this disappointment sprang the Seventh-day Adventist church. But even this disappointment, this great shock, didn't take God by surprise. In fact, he wanted to forewarn them. And so in Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 to 11, the prophet John and the inspiration gave these words. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues and kings this was the prophecy 
given to John for the Adventists of those days. A prophecy that told him that they will have great joy, great sweetness as they preach the second coming of Jesus Christ. And how this joy and, and sweetness was going to turn bitter in their stomach as October 23rd came and there was no second coming. So let's look at this word, this last phrase of this prophecy. It says this, you must prophesy again. You must prophesy again. So what does again mean? What does again mean? Especially from a Bible context. So let's look at some ways the word again is used in the Bible because it applies to us. Judges chapter 13 verse 1. And the children of Israel, it says in Judges, did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. So uh, this use of the word again means this is an action that the Israelites had repeated before. It was something that they were, had done completely before on a previous occasion. They're, now they're doing it again. For example, the last, a previous time they were handed into the hands of the Moabites. And on another occasion they were handed into the people of the East. Okay, that means they were they was in this cycle. They were caught in this cycle of being blessed by God. Everything's going great. We're happy. We're good. But God's looking after us. Then we, because we God is looking after us, we're taking for granted. We start thinking that we can do anything we want. We start worshiping other gods. When we start worshiping other gods, God steps back and allows these other gods to take control. When they when God steps back, then heathen nations come in and oppress them. And then they cry out to the Lord because they're oppressed. God sends a deliverer, rescues them. Things turn around. Things turn good. Things are happy. And then they repeat the whole cycle again and again. The word again means this is a repeat cycle. Let's look at Joshua chapter 5 verse 2. At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make three sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel, the second time. Um, brothers, I just want to reassure you, you can't be circumcised more than once. <laughs> the first time is bad enough, but you can't be circumcised more than once. So what does it mean here? So when the, Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, men, men, virtually all the men hadn't been circumcised. So before they were going to go on this journey to the promised land, they had to get circumcised. So they, so they made some sharp knives at the beginning of these 40 years and they circumcised all the men. All circumcised. Don't be laughing now. Don't be laughing. This is serious business now. Okay, they got, all got circumcised, okay? But during that 40-year journey, the circumcision of boys wasn't being carried out as it should have been. So... God says to Joshua, now that you are going into the promised land, I don't want you to bring uncircumcised men into the promised land. So get some sharp knives. And they made some sharp knives. And circumcise the men again. So this is a whole process, repeating this, this whole group circumcision again. It wasn't going to be done again after this. It was, this was just a second time it was done for that. So once again, we see this whole process of the, um, uh, of the whole process being repeated completely. Let's turn to the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, these are the words of Jesus, and he uses this word again. He says, And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus, Jesus is reiterating the point that he has just made. And he wants to double down on this point, re-emphasize this point. So he says, I am saying it to you again in a different way, but it's the same message. I want to, want to repeat it to you again. Paul does the very same thing in Galatians chapter 1 verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that he have received, let him be accursed. 
So Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying, listen, I've already said this point, but I'm repeating my point for emphasis. For emphasis. So when we come to the word again, we are saying this. That is a repetition of a process, a complete process that we have already gone through already. In fact, the Greek word says this. The Greek word for again is palin. And it means a renewal or repetition of the action. A renewal, repetition of the action. So, so it's not a continuation. It's not a continuation. It means you're going to have to go back and repeat the whole process again. You're going to have to go back and repeat it. You're not continuing on from where you left off. You're going back and repeating this whole process again. So take that thought into mind when we hear the prophecy. We say, you must prophesy again. Many Adventists think that we just continue on with the three angels' message, and we're at the third angel's message, and we just continue on. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that we have to go back. Go back and do what William Miller did, and go back to study and study again and repeat this whole process once again. William Miller started with study. And then he started preaching to other Baptists and Methodists. Remember, there were no Seventh-day Adventists at that time. He started preaching to fellow members and church members and visiting local churches, taking this message. And this was exciting news. And this was the this was the the, the cry that was being given given out the midnight cry Jesus Christ is coming. That's the process that we as Adventists must go through. William Miller knew what he had to do. The question is, do we know where we are in Bible prophecy? Let's bring up the next slide. This next slide is something hopefully you're familiar with. You've seen something like this church? Okay. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay. This is a prophecy timeline. And as a vintage, you need to be getting into your study of your prophecy. Remember, this is what William Miller was doing. This is what William Miller was doing, getting into prophecy. And the question is, where are we on the timeline? Well, let me break it. The first vertical line is 1798. What is so significant about 1798? Sorry? The Pope was taken captive by Berthier, and it marked the end, that it marked the end of the Dark Ages and the beginning of the time of the end. You knew this, didn't you, church? Just nod your head. Yeah, yeah, okay. It marked, yeah, okay, 1798. And then what's significant about 1844? That's the next line. The Great Disappointment, praise God. And, and then the third vertical line is called the Sunday Law. What, what is that about? Yeah, it's the state requirement that everybody has to honor the first day of the week as a day of rest. Okay? What's the fourth vertical line? Close of probation. What is the close of probation? Yeah, Jesus steps out of the most holy place. There's no intercessor, intercessor, intercessor for us so that we can't go back and say, oh, Lord, I've changed my mind. I want to be saved now. It's done. It's done. It's over and done with. Close of probation. Okay? This yellow area that you see that gets darker and darker is called the shaking time. The shaking time gets more and more intense until we get to the Sunday law. And then it just, it's, just, it's just full on until we hit the close of probation. Okay, because of probation. Uh, the, re- the red area is what we call the little time of trouble. The little time of trouble is a time when you, you know what the little time of trouble is, church? I pray this isn't new to you. You need to come to my church. <laughs> you would know if you came to my church. The little time of trouble is a time of trouble where you can't buy or sell. Okay? They're not going to kill you just yet but you can't buy or sell. 
That's a little time of trouble. That's a time when we, that's why we should be in the country developing our gardens because when you can't buy yourself, you can't go and buy, buy Taco Bell. You can't pop down to Walmart. You can't go to Publix or Winn-Dixie. You can't even get gas. Okay? You can't buy yourself. Everything you see on your credit card statement, you can't do. Yep. No internet, nothing. Okay? So that's a little time of trouble. And we have to prepare for that time. Okay, then the then the uh, the fifth vertical line is the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know that, we know that. We're just looking forward to that. Yeah, we want second coming of Jesus Christ, hey, brothers. We got all that stuff beforehand. Okay, that the the area of red between the close of probation and the second coming of Jesus Christ is called the great time of trouble. Um, brother, this is not to scale. Okay, I should, uh, the timeline isn't to scale. So don't, don't, so don't get scared, okay? <laughs> we don't know how long these timelines are, okay? But we know that the, the time between the close of probation and the second coming of Jesus Christ is a great time of trouble. That means there is a death warrant on your head, okay? This is a time where we even leave our, our small villages, our country homes, and we flee to the wilderness areas. We're hiding out in the woods, up in the mountains, down in the swamps, okay, wherever we can, the desolate places. This is a time where we are foraging for our foods. This is a time where, if necessary, God will send ravens to feed us. Uh, but don't expect a free course meal, because all he's promised is bread and water. Okay, if you want dessert, you got to go find it. <laughs> okay, and then after the area is the green area. This is a good, this is best, but this is when we're in heaven. All the remnant, I should say, are in heaven. Okay, so we are on this timeline, we are at the beginning of the shaking time. That is why I'm very concerned about members who are not coming back to church. So everybody's listening online. What is your reason for not coming back to church? This could be part of the shaking that you're experiencing. And I rather want you shaken into the church rather than shaken out of the church. Isn't that what Pastor Suarez wants as well? So find yourself in church. I can say that, but I'm not your pastor. <laughs> Find yourself in church. Okay, so this is where we are. In the, and we need to know where we are because where we are is important because how, what you do and how you do it relates to where you are in Bible prophecy. We're at the beginning of the shaking time. We know that what we're expecting next is a Sunday law. We know that we're also expecting the little time of trouble to commence. This is what we're looking for next. Okay. In Chronicles, it says this, okay? David is gathering some men around him, some elite men, and he's getting men from each tribe. And he says, so many from this tribe and so many from that tribe and so many from this tribe. But when it came to the men of Issachar, it didn't just give his number, it gave a description of them. It says this in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. They had understanding of the time and they, as a, because they understood the times in which they were living, they knew what they should be doing. And it was vitally important. They knew it. That's what set them apart. I'm putting it to you, church, that remnant people, remnant-minded people, know the times in which they live and they know what to do about it. If you're remnant-minded people, if you're going to be part of that group that's welcoming Jesus Christ, you know the times in which you are living and you know what to do about it. Let me break it down for you. Let's go to the next slide. So the Catholic Church is led by a chap called um, the Pope. <laughs> I can't assume anything. <laughs> and the Pope, every now and again, gives an encyclical, encyclica, okay, which is an open letter uh, outlining policies and thinking for the church. 2015, he had an encyclica called Laudato Si, okay, and it's online, you can read it. 
And a part of it highlights the importance of Sabbath observance. Now, when they say Sabbath observance, what are they talking about? Do they understand Sabbath like we understand Sabbath, Brother Gray? No, they don't. No, they don't. They take Sunday, the first day of the week, as a Sabbath. So when they're talking about Sabbath of servants, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about Sunday observance. And they're linking the Sabbath observance with, listen carefully, with protecting the earth. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, if we rest on Sundays, we will help to protect the earth. Some of you think it is crazy. No, look at the satellite imagery from Wuhan. When, when this pandemic started, they took these satellite images of the smog and whatever over, the, over Wuhan. Before, you saw all these red areas high, indicating high smog levels. During their lockdown, they had a hard lockdown. Okay? During their lockdown, the, the emission rate dropped way down. And all you saw was a clear map just one or two little green areas. And this was an indication to everybody, making it clear that if we just stop what we're doing and rest, we can help protect our environment. So now they're linking, and this was, uh, this was remember it was in 2015, this was back in 2015. They, from 2015 and before, they're already thinking, let's link the Sabbath rest, the Sunday rest, with our environmental issues. They also, in this document, are linking it with um, caring for workers. Because some workers are working six, seven days a week. They don't even have time off for, for their families. And they say, you know what? To help protect our workers, they need a day of worship, a day when they can rest. They are linking it to these things. So if you go to the next slide. In November of this year, there is COP26. This is the, the United Nations Climate something. Okay? And they have it annually. And this is the 26th one, even though we're in 2021. Okay? So this is the 26th time they've met, and it's in Glasgow. Okay? If you, okay, what's the big deal about it? We know that the papacy is going to be there. In fact, we know that many religious groups will be there. Next slide. These are some of the sponsors of this organization, this event. Um, most of these are British companies because it's in Glasgow, in, in the United Kingdom. These are some of the sponsors. So you see bank, you see telecommunication companies, you see grocery stores, you see technology companies, you see power companies. All of these people are sponsoring, financially sponsoring COP26. We also know that climate change, next slide, is a big issue for young people. Next slide, yeah. Uh, for young people, from Greta Gunberg and uh, so many young people around the world, it's a big issue, okay? Because they are being educated to see it as a major issue. It is a major issue, but they are being primed to see it as a major issue, something that they will, um, um, something that they will protest about and protest for. Next slide. We also know that um, science is all behind COP26, but we also know that faith groups are behind COP26. For example, next slide. You have keeping up the pressure, the role of faith communities on COP26. Next slide. Get ready for COP26. Be part of climate change, which is an interfaith workshop in October. Next slide. Walking in faith, climate change and interfaith action. Next slide. COP26, interfaith evening, reflections, off reflection, which is hope for the future. Um, which is an interfaith group. And next slide, Green Faith International Work, one of the sponsors. In fact, all these companies, the last slide, are sponsoring COP26. All these, not companies, all these religious groups. You have the Anglicans, you have the World Council of Churches, and you have the Global Catholic Climate Movement. All sponsoring COP26. Why is that so important? Because big changes are coming in COP26. Let me ask you a question. Next slide. Climate change could be 
the crisis through which the Sunday law is enacted and enforced. Let's, let's just think about it. Let that sink in. Whether you're in a union, whether you're a politician seeking popular votes from young people, whether you, you are a faith group, whether you're an environmentalist, whether you are a, a, a Sunday keeper, it all makes sense. Sunday rests by law for our environment. And this was 2015, the Ludata Sea came out. Mrs. White says this, listen carefully, church. I hope you, I hope you read Mrs. White's stuff, okay? Okay? If you are not reading Mrs. White's stuff, you are shooting yourself in your foot. The Sunday movement is now making its way in darkness. The leaders are concealing the true issue, and many who unite in the movement do not themselves see whither the undercurrent is tending. Its professions are mild and apparently Christian, but when it shall speak, it will reveal the spirit of the dragon. This, Mrs. White is saying this. She's saying, the movement to enact Sunday worship is going on behind your backs. People are jumping on board, are jumping on board thinking, there's nothing wrong with this. This is, this is all good. But the true leaders, the papacy, know that this will lead to the deadly wound being healed and the papacy taking full power over the world. If I'm lying to you, you can disagree. Mrs. White says this as well. God has revealed what is to take place in the last days. Amen? So it doesn't have to be a shock to us because he's revealed it through his prophets that his people may be prepared to stand against the tempest of opposition and wrath. Those who have been warned of the events before them are not to sit in calm expectation of the coming, coming storm, comforting themselves that the Lord will shelter his faithful ones in the day of trouble. That, my brother and sister, is presumption. You sit down doing nothing, and at the last minute say, Lord, save me. That's presumption. God is telling you now, get yourself ready. Get yourself ready. <laughs> it's like the people knocking on the door of the ark. Uh, Noah, it's wet out here. Can we come in? No, you should have been in beforehand. Get yourself ready. Next slide. Men of Issachar, they knew the time and they knew what to do in that time. Are you remnant-minded? Do you know the time in which we live? Are you doing what you know you should be doing because you know the time? Haman is a character in the story of Esther character in the story of Esther. He hates the Jews for personal reasons. He's an Agagite. And King Saul had killed the Agagites, slaughtered them. Okay? And he hates the Jews for that and other reasons. So he rises to power in the kingdom of Media Persia. And then because of his power and the influence, he's now in a position to destroy all the Jews. But he has to have the king's permission. So him and his friends decide to get together and, and select a date. Listen carefully. They select a date on which the slaughter of the Jews will commence. So they cast lots. Let's read it. In fact, let's read it. Esther chapter 3, verse 7. In the first month, that is the month of Nisan, that's about April, 
in the twelfth year of King Xerxes or Ahasuerus, they cast Pur, that is Lot, before Haman from day to day and from month to month to the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar. Okay, that's in King James Version. Let me break it down to you in English. Okay, it says this, Haman in April cast lots to find out the best day to kill the Jews. And the lot came out for the 12th month, which would be kind of March of the next year, in our minds thinking. But in their in Jewish minds, it was the beginning of the year, and it was going to end at the end of the year. They set a day, the 12th day of the 12th month. They were going to kill all the Jews. They set the day. Did God set the day? Haman set the day. Haman had a plan, and because Haman had a plan, God had to intervene and save the Jews before that date. Amen? You know the story of Esther. You know the story of Esther. Haman set the date. Haman set the date. God intervened to save the Jews. And this wasn't just happened during the time of the Persians. It also happened during um, the Greek Empire as well. The Greeks hated the Jews. After Alexander the Great died, uh, Ptolemy, which was ruling the Egyptian part, he set a date to destroy all the Jews. They were rounded up like in Nazi Germany. They were, they were uh, cataloged and their possessions cataloged and um, itemized and they were all brought together uh, to be destroyed on a particular date. And three times God had to intervene and save them. You can read that story in the book of the Maccabees. Maccabees. So this isn't new when the enemies set a date for the destruction of God's people. And when they set a date, God takes note and intervenes. Let's go to our next slide. So Pope Francis has this Ludata Sea, and in this it's about caring for our common home. And these aren't just pie-in-the-sky aspirations. This very week, this very week, May the 25th, 2021, the Pope has set dates for the implementation of Ludata Sea. He has seven goals. The goals are a response to the cry of the earth, healing the earth, a response to the cry of the poor, address ecological economics, adopt a simple lifestyle, engage in ecological education, develop an ecological spirituality, and to community engagement and participatory action. As you think about those and what we know as Adventists, you see the Sunday law written all over them. And if you don't, we've got some participatory action for you <laughs> to persuade you that we are right. These are his seven goals, and he's given himself and his administration seven years to implement these seven goals. You can go to the Vatican website. You can pull up this information for yourself. He's given his administration seven years to implement this. May the 25th was what they call the soft launch. The, the hard launch will come on October the 4th. Next slide. October the 4th on the St. Francis Day of St. Francis, Feast of Assisi, Feast of St. Francis of Assisi, when the Pope will have the hard launch for this, then the clock starts to tick. Seven years to implement seven goals. Seven years to implement seven goals. Remember, the men of Issachar knew the times in which they lived and knew what to do. They knew the times in which they lived and knew what to do. 
my brothers, my sisters, I'm bringing this to you so that you are aware. I am not saying Jesus is coming at the end of seven years. I am saying this is Haman's deadline. And we know that if, he's ever, if he meets his goal, and St. Francis is a very hard worker, if he meets his goal, we know that the Sunday law will be enforced by then. And that deadly wound will be healed. Are you ready? Are you ready? You need to know the times in which you live and do something about it. So what should we be doing about it? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16 says this. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16 says this. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. We've got to redeem the time. Don't play around. Don't mess, be messing about. You, you know, Jeremiah says this. Jeremiah 8.20 says this. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not. You don't want to be in that situation. You do not want to be in that situation where you've got all this time to fix up and get ready and you waste this time, get to the end of the summer, and you're not saved. There's no excuse. There is no excuse. God will give you everything you need to get yourself ready. I've heard so many miracles about how God is working in people's lives who are determined to get ready. He's opening the ways, giving them properties in the country at crazy prices. God is working. But you've got to do your part. You've got to redeem the time because the days are evil. We don't have the luxury of time. Next slide. Some of you have had this experience. You've woken up. You've looked at your clock or your watch and you thought, oh my goodness, I'm late. What do you immediately do then? Do you carry on with your normal routine? Going to the shower. I'm going to have myself a nice breakfast. Do you do your normal routine? No, you kind of chop and cut it. Well, this is not important. That's got to go. That's got to go. I've got to bring in this. I've got to get rid of that. Yeah, bang. And you do it in lick speed because you know that you've got to make up time because you've got lot, a lot of time. You want to get where you want to get on time. I'm telling you, we've got to have this attitude. We've got to make up time. We can't be wasting any more time with foolishness. We can't. We've got to redeem the time because the days are evil. They are evil. How many mass shootings have we had in May? It's been a crazy amount. It's been a crazy amount. Just look at, just Google it. Mass shootings in May. You can come up with 20, 30 mass shootings. It's crazy. The days are evil. The days are evil. And that is why we've got to set new priorities new priorities. We've got to say, Lord, I'm putting you first. Everybody else has got to find and try to make space, but you've got to come first. I've got to sort myself out. I've got to help my family get ready. I've got to help my church get ready. I've got to help, help friends get ready. You, I've got new priorities because the days are evil. And now, I'm not saying when you set your priorities that you, you don't plan to get married. Okay? Or you, or you don't plan to write the book. You know, what I am saying is this. You've got to put Christ first. And not just put Jesus Christ first, put Jesus Christ and his second coming first. You've got to filter everything through the lens of the second coming. You have to, have to say, what's, what's, what's the big significance of me getting my Maserati when Jesus Christ is coming? What is what's the big significance of me pursuing a doctorate in light of the second coming? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? What's the, what's the point of me cruising around the world when Jesus Christ is coming? You've got to ask yourself some hard questions and answer it because we've got to redeem the time. 
because the days are evil. We only have a short amount of time. Now, when, when some people heard that the Pope is given seven years, seven years for him to implement his agenda, it's interesting that some people react by saying, well, okay, I've got seven years. That means I can mess up around to, to year five, maybe year six, and then I'll get my groove on. And do. No, you don't. Because you underestimate one, you underestimate what it takes to get ready. You think you can just switch it on like this. Character development is a serious thing. Character development takes so much time and energy, as well as everything else. You know, you plant a mango tree. Well, we grow, you don't grow mango trees up here. Down, down, down here, but we grow mango trees. You plant a mango tree, okay? It's going to take you four or five years before you even start tasting mangoes. Yeah, so if you want to have mangoes in your country garden during a little time of trouble, you better start planting them now. It's going to take you time to get ready. The second reason why that's a bad attitude is this. You are saying that the world is more attractive than God. When you're saying, well, I'd rather be messing around and then, and then at last minute I'll try to slip on in. You're saying the world is so much fun, I'd rather be in the world than with God. And that's a bad attitude. And that's an attitude that will not save you. No matter how much jumping in and you try at the last minute, because you developed a habit of rejecting the Holy Spirit all the way along, you will find it virtually impossible to change at the last minute. I'm just saying it like it is. So, what should the attitude be? We've got to put God first. We've got to put God first. The story is told in 1 Kings chapter 17 when, when there was a famine in Israel. And it wasn't, the rain, was, rain wasn't falling. It didn't just affect Israel. It affected the surrounding nations as well. Because remember, the prophet Elijah said, There shall be neither dew nor rain except by my word. Do you remember that story? Yeah, okay. So God said to Elijah, Go and, go and hide by the um, brook. Um, Kerith, Kerith Brook, okay? And he stayed there for a while, but the brook dried up, okay? And then he said to the, um, Prophet Elijah, he said something really strange. He said, go to a foreign country. In fact, go to the birthplace of Jezebel. Go to the birthplace of Jezebel and, and the widow, I've instructed her to feed you there. So as he walks into Zarephath, he sees this little old lady, well, this widow, not a little old lady, this widow, gathering sticks, and he says to her, get me a drink of water. She, you know, for some reason, she's nice. She's just going over, yes, I'll get you a drink of water. And then he says, oh, by the way, can you get me a morsel of bread to eat? And she says, turns around and says, you know, you know what, by the God you serve, I'll just gather me the last few sticks, and I'll just going to uh, uh, make an oven and, and cook our last meal for me and my son, and then we're just going to die because this is our last meal. Okay. And Elijah said to her, verse 13, do not fear. Do not let your feelings control you. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But make me a small cake from it first. And bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. That's what he says. What is, what, is, what, is, what is this illustrating? It is illustrating the fact that when we decide to put God first, give him first priority, making number one, everything else will fit into place. Because we know that widow didn't go hungry. And she didn't die as she had planned. God fed her, her son, and Elijah for the rest of the famine. They did not go hungry, not even one day, because she put God first. My church, I'm telling you, our God is good. If you put him first, he will supply. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all these things will be added unto you. That's the promise of God. Mrs. White says this, I saw that we should not put off the coming of the Lord, said the angel. Prepare 
prepare for what is coming upon the earth. Let your works correspond with your faith. All importance should be attached to this. And everything besides should come in secondary. Okay, Mrs. White is saying, listen, seek out your salvation first. Put it first. Put it first. Everything else, everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary compared to this. You've got to sort your salvation out first. Everything else is secondary. She goes on to say this. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. <laughs> you must have a greater preparation than you now have. For the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land as desolate and destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Sacrifice all to God. Lay all on his altar, self, property, and all a living sacrifice. Mrs. White talks about Noah. He said, but at the time Noah stood at the door of the ark, making the last appeal, Noah had spent everything on the building of the ark. Noah was flat broke. But what was money in the time of the flood. He invested everything into the ark. And because of that total investment, he, his sons, his daughter-in-law, and his wife were saved out of all the millions that dwelt upon the earth. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. And the preparation, you know, Mrs. White says this, and I, haven't, I don't think I put this quote in. She says this, we, trouble is often worse in anticipation. Okay, trouble is often worse. When we, when we sit down and we're thinking about something, we often imagine it, imagine it, and we imagine it worse than what it actually turns out to be. Then she goes on to say, but this is not the case with a time of trouble. So whatever you're imagining about the time of trouble is worse. It's worse. So don't think of anything too bad. <laughs> okay, it's worse than what we imagine. But we've got to get ready for it. And that's why God is telling us now. Because it's such a big thing. We've got to get ready for it now. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. Let's read this text. I'm going to break it down. And do this. Knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Let's break that down. Um, brothers, you've got to keep up. I'm on, I'm on like four slides ahead of you now. <coughs> Let's move, let's move this along. Yes, yeah, we passed that. And the next one. And the next one. Yeah, we go. We've got to awake. Wake, that means get clued in and realize what time we're. We've got to waken up. Okay? We've got to cast off the works of darkness. We've got to put on the armor of light. Okay, we've got to walk, live, in other words, the way we should be living. Okay, avoiding the sins of the world and, and put on Jesus Christ. That's his sanctification, that is character. And make no room. Don't make accommodation for sin. Don't make accommodation for sin. Awake, cast off, put on, walk, put on. Make no room. 
This is what we need to be doing, church. Because we need to know the times in which we live. And if we know the times in which we live, we know what we ought to be doing. Shall I tell you how I know we know what we ought to be doing? Because the Holy Spirit is faithful. Because right now, as you hear this message, the Holy Spirit is prompting you and telling you what you need to do. You know there's some hard decisions that need to be made. You know there's some sacrifices. Something's going to be cut off. <laughs> as soon as sunset, you're going to say, well, you know, this is gone, this is gone, and this is in place. It's, it's got to be changed. It's got to be changed, church. Because Haman has set his date. Haman has set his date. Haman has set his date. The days are evil. The days are few. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. We have a choice to make, church. A choice. A choice. The choice is very simple. Either you're remnant-minded, actively getting ready for Jesus Christ's second coming, or you're everything else. Everything else. <laughs> it's not, there's no gray area. You're either you're all in, 100%, I'm sold out on this, I'm getting ready, or you're any other variation. That's, that's the way it is. If you're a little bit getting ready, you're not ready. If you've got a little toe in the world, you're not ready. You've got to abandon the world, cling on to Jesus, and fully get ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Total commitment. That's a choice. That's a choice. That's what the Spirit wants you to make. You've got to sit home with you and get, grab your spouse and say, listen, we've got, to, we've got, we've got a hard discussion. You, you've got to make some changes in your life. I know that. But as Elijah said to the woman, the widow, do not fear. Don't let that feeling of fear make it, uh, uh, hold you back from doing what is good. Do not fear. Our God is faithful. So, there's the appeal. Are you going to stand when you make the appeal? Like, that's a choice. If you want to be totally revenant-minded, 100%, holding nothing back, I'm inviting you to stand right now. Let's pray. Our Father God, you know I didn't give people long to stand because it's a very simple decision. Either you're in or you're out. We thank you for your word. And for everybody who stood, we pray the Lord that you come close to them, that you direct their footsteps, that you bring about the changes in them and through them that you want to see that you prepare us to be the people that welcome you when you come in the clouds of glory. There's no greater joy, no greater blessing than to see you and welcome you. We don't want to be running to the rocks or the mountains crying out, hide on us, fall on us, and hide us from him that come in. We want to welcome you, Lord. But that starts now. Now, dear Lord, so we stand to welcome you into our hearts to take full, complete, and total control. And every moment of every day we give to you, as we wake up each morning, we give you that day for you to direct as you see fit. And for this day, Lord, we give you all the glory and all the praise because we know that you are faithful and that you'll present us faultless before your Father's throne with exceeding joy. And you'll continue to keep us from falling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let everybody who believes say, Amen.